0: Let's say you work for the next 30 years. So you work from the age of 25 to the age of 55. Will you have enough money saved up for retirement for the next 30 years after that, from 55 to 85? So in essence, are you saving half of your income now so that you can live the second half of your life the way you want to live? If not, don't worry. (laughs) None of us are. And it may not even be required, but we're going to, talk about some of these things on today's episode. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Before the Millions podcast. My name is Dore Olalye. I'm a former financial professional turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Every week, entrepreneurs and millionaires have strategic conversations on this show to help you design and build your lifestyle business through real estate. For the BTM Tribe, this is kind of a special place. As such, new listeners tend to binge content. So you've been warned. Let's get started. Hey, what's up? What's going on, BTM Tribe? We're back for another installment, another episode of the Before the Millions podcast. Guys, I'm super excited for a brand new week with you guys. And so first and foremost, I've been recording a few of these episodes back to back. So I'm currently recording this episode Tuesday morning, January 29th, 2019, and the episode right before this, episode 92, which is titled The Mastermind Blueprint, Growing Your Real Estate Business, that's going to release here in the next few minutes. So I'm super excited for that episode to kind of come out because as you guys know, I am officially launching my Before the Millions Mastermind group. And the initial idea for this mastermind group was because as I started growing my real estate portfolio and more and more people wanted my help and coaching and guidance and things of that nature, I realized very quickly that I had a solid business idea on my hands, right? So for the next few years, I started building my business. I started building before the millions, and it's come with lots of ups and lots of downs. And quite frankly, the, my first year as a full-time entrepreneur, not just like Before the Millions being a side gig, which it was for so long, but my first full year as a full-time entrepreneur was probably the hardest year ever. And I recently wrote a blog article on this, and I cover this in depth on episode 92, but there've been so many things that I've picked up along the way. So many people I've met, so many people that have been able to pour into me, and not only just people that come on the show, but mentors in different fields and sectors. And I've been able to garner so much value over the past few years. And I love being able to help people get started on their real estate journey. And I love people, I love to help people grow and build their portfolio. But I had the secondary need, want, desire to help people who were also in the position that I was in a few years ago when I first started Before the Millions, when I first started figuring out, well, how am I gonna build a business around my real estate investing efforts? And for you, you don't have to even be a culture consultant. You could have a totally different business model. But one thing I picked up is that. The essentials, the skeleton, the framework is always the same in any and every business. And in this day and age for businesses, you can operate location independent like my business, like any other online business. There are certain key metrics that you want to pay attention to. And there are lots of different avenues that you can take to monetize your business. And I've experienced so many of these businesses and I've tried so many of these strategies to where I'm at a point now where I know that I can have a profound effect on somebody's business just by being in their vicinity, just by having a weekly call, just by keeping them accountable. So that was kind of the foyer, I guess, into the BTM Mastermind. Since I'm actually recording this on January 29th, this episode is not going to release until February 5th. So at the time that this episode releases, you will have six days, six days to apply for the Before the Millions Mastermind and get in at our grandfathered rate of $500 per month. So before we even get to the amount of days left before a possible price change, I want you to know that a few pieces of marketing material, including this morning's episode, episode 92, which is the primary marketing tool for this mastermind to let people know that my mastermind is officially launching on the 11th of February. So that piece of material is going to garner a whole lot of traffic and probably a whole lot of applications. There are going to be a few more emails that are going to be sent out this week. And I'm going to personally contact a few people that I know are interested in the mastermind group. So what I'm telling you is that not only do you want to apply for this mastermind as soon as possible because spots may fill up before or right around when this episode releases, but also because the price may just change. So once the 11th hits, I'm contemplating on raising the price to $1,000 per month because I am confident that at $1,000 per month, I am going to and not just me because this is not a coaching course. These are my, you guys, you guys that are a part of my mastermind group, you guys are my peers. So as much as I'm pouring into you and you're pouring into me, we're pouring into each other. So I'm excited for the growth that I'm going to get out of this mastermind group as well, selfishly, right? But you guys have just a few days from the time of this recording, or I guess from the time of this release to get in at the grandfathered rate of $500 a month. And if you get in now at $500 a month, no matter where the price goes from here, because I plan on making this better and better and better and bigger and badder, right? So no matter where the price goes from here, you are locked in. Regardless of whenever you're listening to this episode, this mastermind is powerful. At its current rate, this mastermind is powerful. So if you are a real estate entrepreneur and you have a proven business model, you've gotten paid for your services, right? Or you've gotten paid for your product, and things are not quite where you believe they can be. You feel like there, there there are a few levers that you can turn, a few switches that you can flip and you'll start seeing more consistency. Or maybe you have that full-time job and right now your real estate business is on the side, and this is actually my primary target. That real estate business is on the side like it was for me 2 years ago. And you want to eventually leverage your real estate business So that you can be 100% self-employed, but you need help, you need guidance, you need a structure, you need a system, you need to figure out if you're even taking the right steps at the right time. You want accountability. This is at the top of the list of one of my favorite products, guys, and all of my products are, quite frankly, my favorite products. It's crazy because I only have two paid products, which is the Before the Man's Mastermind and the Before the Man's Workshop. But I do have this free product, as you guys know, the BTM 5K challenge. And even though it's a free product, man, it's 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 amazing. <laughs> it's so amazing. And so many people are getting spectacular results. And I'm excited that, that I actually came out with this product because it's changing so many people's perception and what they think is possible for them in real estate. And it's been amazing. So that's over at BeforeTheMillions.com forward slash 5K. But my primary products, my two main products, my workshop and my mastermind. The workshop is for investors who... Or wet behind the ears. They don't know what to do, how to get started, where to, how to even get in their first investment property. Or maybe they have one, but they now can't figure out how to get the second and third one. And it's, it's driving them crazy, right? There's no system. There's no guidance. There's no accountability. There's no money. That's what this eight-week workshop is for. A mastermind. Although we may get into some real estate, we may talk about growing a portfolio because some of us will be investors and we may end up doing deals together. Because again, this is a close-knit circle of trusted advisors and friends. The primary focus is that real estate business that you have, the one that's causing all the overwhelm because you believe that there's so many things that you need to do right now in your business for it to take off. So I invite you to participate. I invite you to apply. Just apply. I mean, even, even just taking that first step and we may get on a phone conversation that may quite frankly change your life, even if we decide not to work together. So if this is something that you're considering, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash mastermind. Man, that was a long winded way to let you guys know that, hey, last week's episode was powerful. Episode 92, man, I really, really enjoyed that. And that was one of our longer episodes. And then you have episode 91. If you guys have episode 91, go back to that one as well. It was just a random Friday episode where I was just like, hey, let me just give a bonus to my listeners. And man, that episode was full of so much content. Like in that episode, we're talking about changing our beliefs about money. And So many people do not talk about money. I mean, we don't talk about it in a corporate America. You don't talk about it amongst your family. You don't talk about it with your friends. But on the Before the Millions podcast, we will talk about money, guys. So head over to BeforeTheMillions.com forward slash episode 91. That episode is amazing. You know, another amazing episode that came out this year, episode 87, which is titled I'm Quitting, Building My Lifestyle Business. Man, last year in 2018, guys, I had so many revelations going back to this mastermind and how I wanted to help so many people overcome and bypass some of the things that I had to spend days, weeks, months agonizing over. But episode 87, I am laying out for you all of my lessons learned in 2018, the things I'm quitting, the things I'm starting, the things I'm focused on, because for me, 2019 is a year of execution. I feel like 2017 was like a year of discovery. and then. 2018 was like the year of like planning, like the pre-launch phase. And then 2019, like I'm like full throttle ahead, execute, execute, execute. I guess I should tell you guys who's on today's episode. I mean, that's something that you guys may possibly just want to know. So today's episode, we're speaking to Mr. Mark Willis. And I had a really fun conversation with Mark. I mean, guys, we're throwing out, and this is not like heavy math, but we're throwing out a lot of statistics where you're just like, hmm, I didn't know that. Or I didn't think about that. Or is that is that really true statistically like that? Is that what it comes out to be? I mean, think about it, guys. Have you have you already created or have you thought about creating or are you in the process of creating income for retirement that you cannot outlive? Many of you may say yes. Today, me and Mark are going to break down some of the myths that we've been told about retirement because we actually want to help you grow your wealth. So we're gonna talk about creating tax-free income and retirement. We're gonna talk about emotions and financial intelligence and how your emotions play a big part in the way you handle your finances. We're gonna talk about how Dave Ramsey influenced Mark and his financial decisions earlier on, but then he quickly realized that maybe Dave Ramsey wasn't the person he should be listening to it when it came to his financial decisions a lot of us are depending on our 401k for retirement. And hopefully this episode puts things in perspective about how little your 401k really is going to help you when it comes to that portion of your life. And then my favorite thing that we're going to talk about, which I haven't gotten into yet, but it, every time I have somebody on the show that talks about it, it, it sounds so captivating. And my favorite thing we're going to talk about are the benefits of dividend paying whole life insurance. So guys... Without any further ado, because you guys have enjoyed the intro enough already. Without any further ado, let's uh, let's get to the tip of the week so we can get into the show.
1: DeRay's tip of the week.
0: Okay, so here's your quick tip. And this is coming from somebody who prior to 2016 did not read a single book. Like not one throughout my whole adult life. Maybe in high school, maybe in middle school, yes. But as an adult, I didn't read a single book. So coming from me, who's now read over a hundred books. I read about a book a week and I am just so fascinated by the content that I read in these books. And I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, right? But one thing about my newfound habit, which is not newfound anymore. I've been doing it for over two years now. But one thing about my newfound habit is that I get so wrapped up in the idea of these books and the concepts. And then I'm so ready for the ne- for the next one and the knowledge, because I love I love learning, but I often... Forget to go back and actually implement some of the concepts that I've learned, some of the strategies that I've picked up, some of the insights that I've acquired, and that's quite frankly ninety nine percent of the reason why you're reading the book, right? On the last episode of the Before the Man's podcast, our guest was telling us that Napoleon Hill died a poor man. I was just like, wow, you know, knowledge is is not power. Knowledge acted upon is power though, right? So one thing I've been doing this year is I decided that I was not going to read a new book, a single new book for the whole first month of January. Now, today is Tuesday, January 29th. I have two more days and I have been reading books and I actually did read one single new book. But for the most part, what I've been doing is I've been going back to read books, the classics. And I've taken one or two major key concepts in those books, and I've chosen to implement those immediately. So like, I came into the year and I was reading this book called The 12-Week Year, which is a new book. But that was kind of like my book coming into the new year because I wanted to start the new year off right. Since then, the three books that I've read are Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read that every year. Then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Guide to Investing. I read that every year and then i read grant cardone's 10x for the second time and man when i read this book the second time it was a game changer for me like i was just like man the first time it was, it was it was it was it was nice it was powerful like i liked it right but i was a different i was in a different place in life and reading 10x the second time i'm just like i'm implementing this i'm starting this i'm doing this and then the new book i read which i wasn't supposed to do is called the surrender experiment and that was actually recommended to me by a member of my mastermind, and yeah, that book is that book is nice. <laughs> it may challenge a lot of your beliefs, but the book is it's it's a very good book. So that comes highly recommended. But again, the tip of the week this week is to just kind of rehash, go back and and, and pick up some of your some of your favorite books. Now I'm not, I'm not talking about these fictional books and things like that. I mean books that are going to push you forward, push your business forward. Go pick up some of those books that you really enjoyed, but maybe. They were short lived because you didn't execute on the concepts or the strategies that you learned in that book and you just moved on to the next or you just put it down, right? So take some time. Again, I'm doing, I may, I may, I may extend this process into February and just all of February, like go back and rehash some old, some really, really good old books that I need to soak in a little bit more, right? I mean, while you're at it, do that with some podcast episodes as well. I know I do. Like some episodes just have so much content. I'm like, I got to go back and I got to get that again. Or I got to go listen to that now based on where I am in life. And maybe I'll make some new connections. Like that's how I think. So hopefully you've enjoyed this tip of the week. Now let's get to the show. And now
1: your feature presentation.
0: I have today on the show, Mr. Mark Willis. Mark, how's it going today?
1: Great. Can't complain, man. How are you?
0: I'm doing amazing, Mark. And really quick for our listeners, where are we talking to you from today?
1: Chicago, Illinois.
0: Nice, 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 nice. I love it. I love it. So again, guys, Mark is a certified financial planner and he is the co-host of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. We're going to talk about all things finance today because I think that this is a subject matter that we haven't really touched on the way that we're going to touch on it today, we're going to talk about emotions in finance. We're going to talk about how to actually get started on your financial freedom journey. We're going to talk about what the banks aren't telling you and what Wall Street isn't telling you about your financial picture. So before we do any of that, Mark, let's let's kind of give the listeners some context as to who you are and where you're from. So let's maybe take it back in the time machine. Take us all the way back to a time in your life where this wasn't your life. You weren't the Mark Willis you are today and you were maybe coming from humble beginnings and kind of talk about your entrepreneurial path and you know, kind of start paying that picture for us and we'll work our way up to present day
1: all right cool well I'll, I'll try to keep it brief but my story with money really started with a paper bag we had an allowance and like many kids you had to kind of earn it through chores and so forth so i i really put all my money uh, you know in this little paper bag and once we reached i think it was 50 bucks my mom said it was time to put that money in the bank in a checking account at the local bank and you know, I was like, this is so cool. I feel like such a you know, big kid. And so she takes me to the bank and some stranger at the bank said, okay, give me all your money. And I didn't want to. <laughs> I felt like it was safer in that paper bag than in that big vault over there. Little did I know how much truth there was to that belief that there was more reality to the money in my paper bag more security in that paper bag than there would have been had I given it to the bank. And I did end up opening that checking account. But fast forward a few more years and I'm going through graduate school and my wife and I now have three degrees between us. And we left school with six figures in student loan debt in 2008 with zero way to pay that off. No job, no plan. But we faithfully listened to Dave Ramsey every single day, certainly. So we moved to an expensive city here. Chicago is not exactly cheap and started working various streams of income, multiple side hustles during what turned out to be the greatest recession since the great depression and then not long after that started working for a CPA firm trying to get my own finances right. I got really passionate about money and how it works and what it does. So all of my training taught me that, you know, traditional retirement planning taught me to, you know, buy term and invest the rest. It taught me that mutual funds were the pathway to you know guaranteed financial freedom. I mean, all that average financial advice was the only way to get out of the rat race. I mean, why not, right? If Dave Ramsey says it, it must be true. So that was sort of the pathway that I started out on. But to be honest, it was right around that same time that kind of the web of of mainstream financial planning was starting to be ripped apart. I mean, the The housing crash, the financial meltdown kind of laid bare the fact that prices in homes don't always go up and that the stock market doesn't always go up. And so I started my financial firm helping other folks find ways that could help break them free from traditional financial planning and give them a pathway that gave them some predictability and security that that they could really count on. And that's where I guess we started our firm here in Chicago.
0: I love that. I love that. So before you started your firm, let's kind of take a step or two back. You were working for a CPA firm and some of the things that you started to discover during that time were not in alignment with your beliefs before that. Talk about some of those things, because I think that's really important. And I, I come from a CPA firm background as well. I worked for a big four accounting firm for, for years. And I, I, I kind of, you know, people would come to me and they'd, they'd ask me for financial advice and things like that. And I would have no idea. Like, I mean, we're not trained in that subject matter. So kind of talk about some of the things you started, you know, unraveling.
1: Yeah, well, I was working for an accountant and a CPA who I was helping with the tax preparation. She did do investments in mutual funds, stocks, bonds, and so forth for clients. And so, you know, this was in 2008 and 9 when the meltdown was just getting started. And so I was overhearing conversations about how she unfortunately had lost her 62-year-old clients half half of their money, right? right before they're going to retire and half of the money is gone, that was a huge wake-up call to me as someone who wanted to get into financial planning as a full-time, like, this is my passion, this is what I'm excited about. And here I am seeing the end of the rainbow is, you know, unfortunately, it's a bucket of broken dreams if it's tied to something that folks can't control. And that's what Wall Street really sells us is, you know, hey, just stick with it, Hang in there, you know, buy and hold, don't look at your account when the market is crashing. It's all it's all designed to to keep the money over on Wall Street, not necessarily keep it in your pocket. So that was really the wake up call for me, Duray, and, and I was just really troubled when I saw that I kept asking myself, is this all there is? Is this the only way that can get us from where we are financially to where we want to go? Thank goodness I've had some mentors that came along right around that same time that pointed us to something that several different strategies that got us out of that sort of fixed mindset and into that as as we've you know, as, what's the name of that book? The Growth Mindset. Mindset by Dweck. Yeah, the the from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And it, it just really kinda helped me start thinking critically about where my money is and where I want it to go. And I remember once the mentor that, that I worked with said, Mark, is it and he was an old college professor, you know, he's just a good friend of ours that won the best for me. And saw us struggling to pay our giant student loan payments, and he said to me, "Mark, is it possible? Is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something and he just let that question sit there, and I had never really pondered that. I'd never really considered is it possible that Dave Ramsey is not Moses? You know he didn't bring those ten baby steps down from a mountain, you know or whatever, and that was just a light bulb moment for me, so anyway, that's sort of where I fell off the train tracks of traditional financial planning and ended up getting my CFP in the process. So go figure. Nice.
0: Nice. I love that. And I thought we were going to butt heads on this show, Mark, because we often talk about Dave Ramsey on the show and I love what he does. I've read, I've actually recently read one of his books just because I didn't want to be so biased against him. And I totally understand some of his viewpoints, but like throughout reading that book, I was just like, that's wrong. That's wrong. I don't like this. Why are you telling people this? But I yeah. think these solutions, there are different solutions for different types of people. Now let's talk about That's the right. traditional way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Let's talk yeah. about the traditional system. What system? I mean, I mean, even the, even the stock market, even not even, let's not talk about the stock market. Even Wall Street, your 401k plan. The 401k has been around for less than 50 years. <laughs> yeah, it's not even
1: old enough to retire.
0: So let's talk about the traditional system, what people expect to happen. And what actually happens.
1: That's great. Great. Well, I mean, how much did the traditional financial plan really do for us over the last three, four decades? The results are in and we can now take a look. We've moved from a pension-based system to a risk is all back on our shoulders system. I mean, that's what the 401k really has been for us since it started in 1981. And by the way, the guy who started the 401k, Ted Benna, has recently come out and said that it should be abolished, it should be destroyed, and gotten rid of. He wishes he had never started the, the 401k. So anyway, how is it done, right? The basic change that happened in the late 70s, early 80s, for a number of reasons, is that we've moved from a employer based system where the employer owns all the risk on your pension right he or she the employer has to come up with that monthly paycheck for you to a system where all of the money and all of the risk is back on your shoulders so who bears the risk when the 401k becomes a 201k well the person who owns the 401k does right so let's talk about it what was the real return of real investors in the Wall Street casino over the last three decades. Here I am, I'm a certified financial planner trying to, to get to the bottom of the truth of real returns because you're right, Dave Ramsey has plenty of good work that he does. He gets people passionate about paying off their debts. He gets people passionate about creating a cash flow budget, which is super awesome. Where I think we really need to call him to task is some of the claims he makes about what we can expect from Wall Street. So according to real third parties, okay, so not me, not you, not Dave, but third-party analysts, third-party research firms like Dalbar, write up a annual report to disclose here's what the real return of actual investors have been over the last 10, 20, 30 years. So I'll ask you this is a pop quiz. How about that? Over the last 30 years, the average investor in a broad, diversified portfolio of mutual funds, what was their actual return over the last 3 decades.
0: Oh, let me guess like 5%? Yeah,
1: yeah, but before I answer that question, how much would you require that your return be in order to stomach the tech wreck of 2001, the financial meltdown of 2008, and some yeah, people tell yeah. me they they'd, they'd want to have they'd want to be sure that they could get at least 7, sometimes 10, sometimes even 12% to stomach what they remember feeling in 2008 right It's not a pretty picture, and it, it, while it was ten years ago, it was only ten years ago that that happened, yeah. so anyway, the real return of actual investors and mutual funds over the last thirty years, if they're all in on stock stocks right, no bonds in their portfolio was three point nine eight percent, and that's before fees and before taxes that's um, only beating inflation by less than one percent
0: oh my goodness,
1: so was that even worth the roller coaster so how is it possible right the stock jockeys will tell you that the average return of the stock market is 10% a year you know they'll say hey look here's the stock market index if you just bought in 1920 whatever you'd have 10% average a year but the truth is we don't operate that way we're not infinite people we have to get on and get off that roller coaster at various points in our life if nothing else, just for retirement, you know, we got to spend that money at the grocery store. So the truth is average rates of return are not the same as real rates of return. I'm going to give another quick little thought experiment and I promise I'll try to keep this as brief as I can. So let's say you got a hundred bucks and you want to put it in the market. All right. And let's say that whoever's managing your money does awesome and they double your money that year. That's a hundred percent rate of return. So your hundred dollars just got doubled to 200 bucks. All right. The next year, let's say that whoever was managing your money just totally flunked and they lost half of your money so your $200 went all the way down to $100 you know the same number you started with does it make sense so far yep all right so you have $100 when you start and 2 years later you got 100 bucks well what was the return of that money well zero right yep What you put in there but the honest truth is the average return of that money was 25%, 25%, hundred plus a negative 50 divided by two is an average of 25 and mutual funds are allowed to advertise average returns, not real returns. And there's a wow. huge difference between wow. what's known as the arithmetic average and the geometric mean. And what you want to look for is what was the true cumulative rate of return of my money over such and such period of time, because with that kind of volatility, you have to get even higher rates of return just to keep up with, your, with the volatility.
0: The returns that we're seeing that are being advertised are not the actual returns. Right. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, that, that is crazy. So yep. let's look at the baby boomers who are getting ready to retire. I mean, what do they have at their disposal? Do they have Social Security? Do they have a pension? Do they have a 401k? How, how is their outlook right now?
1: Well, you know, it's not, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not pretty. I mean, the results are in on how people are doing and boomers just don't have enough ready to go for retirement. I think, you know, we can talk about statistics, but the average person has less than one year saved, one year's income saved for retirement. And 52% of all American households will not be able to maintain their current lifestyle in retirement, that's according to the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. So it's it's not it's not going to be like you know just choosing one day to stop working. You know yeah. people are going to have to make hard decisions about groceries or prescriptions. You know two ply toilet paper or one ply toilet paper. I mean those are silly ideas, but that's the real truth is that we're, is. we're faced with a hard reality that it's it's not going to be easy to get out of. You know without making some hard choices.
0: I mean, even even the four hundred one k. How much how much are you putting in? I mean, how much does the average person put in their four hundred one k a year?
1: Oh, I don't, you know, I'd have to get back to you on that. I don't know, but I know that the average person saves less than three percent of their income for all sources. So three percent of your money is the average savings rate of Americans right now, and that's including your savings account for flat tires. That's including your HSA, you know, health insurance contributions. That's including paying down debt or college savings and retirement planning so is three percent of your income going to cover everything
0: most of us start working around age 22 23 and the retirement age is what 59 and a half or you know even 65 and these days we're living until 70 80 some people even 90 years old and you think about the fact that you're saving three percent of your yearly salary so let's say you're working until age 55 so 25 to 55 is 30 years and you're expected to live until 85, you're saving 3% of your yearly salary. So even if you were to save for the next 30 years, 3% of your yearly salary, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have even been able to save one year's worth of salary, not even one year, but you have another 30 years left. Like you've been working for 30 years just to save up half of a year's worth of salary to live another 30 years. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And let me put it to you this way. If if you could just imagine if you couldn't work, if the average Joe working a, a wage job, let's say, okay, so folks that haven't yet achieved financial independence before the millions, right? If you all of a sudden couldn't work for 30 years, would that negatively impact your financial future? Of course. Isn't that the same thing as retirement? Yeah. You know, right? And if all I had to my name was one year's salary and I had to make that one year last 30 years? Would I have to make some hard choices about what I was going to buy that week for groceries? Yeah. So what I hear with most of my clients is, hey, Mark, I got all these bills to pay. I got free kids or whatever. I got two car payments. I got a giant mortgage. I got a boat that I'm still paying off. I got some credit card bills. I can't save more than 3% of my money. So I'm going to have to risk more on casino and lottery tickets and, and Wall Street and hope that my rate of return will be higher. That's the underlying kind of premise of most people's financial plans. I'm gonna have to save less and risk more and hope that my rate of return will be higher. And unfortunately, that hope is not a strategy.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that goes back to just, I mean, I think about the average person and they don't want to get into all of this. I mean, this is, this is complex stuff for the average person. They're just like, Hey, like they say that there's this plan at work. And if I follow this, if I follow the plan, if I follow the system, I'm going to be okay during retirement. And we just, like you said, we just kind of hope that that happens without actually doing the math. And that goes back to laziness. That goes back to not living for the future, maybe just living yeah. for the right now. That goes back to what we're gonna to touch on next is maybe even some emotions. And yeah. you know, the the emotional aspect of having to figure things out, the emotional aspect of how somebody spends their money, what's value to them. So let's maybe talk about emotions and money. You know, I think that emotions play a large part in our day to day and everything that we do, but most specifically more specifically money. Because you think about the fact that every single purchase I think every single purchase is, is an emotional purchase now i want you to kind of clarify and i know because no, you talk about this vastly so when you think about emotions and money how do they how do how do they correlate
1: well you know I, I do think that there's a deep connection with money i mean we learned from studies and from my own personal experience that you know sadness for example makes you spend more money the national science foundation and the national institute of health said so in a recent study they did also arrogance and greed come into play when it comes to speculations with like jumping into a bubble just before the burst right then we sell at the worst possible time because of fear
0: i'm so glad the bitcoin crisis is over yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's probably
1: (laughs) probably, i'm guessing there'll be another tulip bubble you know whether it's bitcoin or you know whatever it is Uh, in fact yeah, that's just kind of the, the mentality of most people. We jump on at the wrong time. We hop off at the wrong time. I mean, look up Tulip Mania from the 1600s in Holland, where a single tulip bulb was selling for more than a, the price of an entire house, if you can imagine that, right? So it's it's not always been Bitcoin. Before that, it was Bean Babies and Tickle Me Elmo. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, right? right. <laughs> One time I stood in line at a uh, Target, and slept outside of a Target to buy a PlayStation 3, I think it was at the time. And then I saw eBay was like $10,000 for a PlayStation 3. And I'm like, we can retire like next Tuesday. And then I waited, right? Jumping on the bubble. And then 24, 48 hours later, the price of the PlayStation 3 was, you know, whatever you could buy at the store. And I just ended up returning the thing and, you know, dejected, right? So, you know, there's shame around not understanding money. There's fear. I think the biggest thing that I see, DeRay, is is this, this fear of not, wanting to make another mistake with my money I don't want to part with my money because I'm afraid I might make another mistake like all the ones I made before I mean there can be anger when your boss passes you up for a raise you I mean there's so many emotions around money it's one of the most like I think tightly bound concepts to our emotions that there is right
0: yeah for sure so I feel like we've painted the perfect picture for the audience showing them or, or, or kind of just highlighting that the fact that the systems that we're in there flawed Mm -hmm. we're in a rat race that most of us are never going to escape most of us have no plan for retirement and if we do we probably don't understand that plan to the fullest Mm -hmm. now for those of us out here which are 100% of my listeners hopefully we're looking for financial freedom we want to find a way to go against the grain and start making our money work for us so let's transition now to a solution i mean where does one start to begin to just i mean i think the first step is education but where where does one even even start looking what do you start reading how do you start just kind of getting into this and maybe again most people and i want to make it as simple as possible because most people are not financial experts most people do not want to go on and really manage their finances super tightly so how can how can is there is there like a sweet spot to kind of start and then a sweet spot to kind of manage it over time. I just want to kind of walk walk us through the first few steps that you think somebody should take to start kind of seeking financial freedom.
1: Yeah, well, I know your episodes are chock full of awesome material on this. One of my favorite things to think about is, you know, what is, what do what do I want my money to do for me? That's probably the best first question to ask, more so than any label you might put on your money. You know, if I, if I had the choice between picking a golfer, Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods, whoever, if I had a choice between Tiger Woods' golf clubs and Tiger Woods' golf swing, I'm going to take his swing every time. It's all way day bad. long. <laughs> you know, I, I want the I want the skill. I want the strategy. I want the mindset. I want the capacity more than I want his particular product. You know, I want Stephen Curry's free throw shot more than I want his shoes. You know, if I could do that, one is worth way more than the other. So, what do I want my money to do for me? That is the best question I think you could start with because. And this is sound, it'll sound so obvious, I think, just saying the words, but most people don't ask this question, which is what do I want my money to do for me? Because where I put my money will make it do different things. You know, where you put your money will make it do different things. A hedge fund is different than a savings account in terms of its risk and taxes and so much, so much else. So, you know, one question I like to think through is if I only had one dollar to put somewhere okay, for all of life's needs, whether it's an emergency or investing or retirement, what would I want that single dollar to do for me? And then I've got a list of about 24 questions, 25 questions that I'll ask my clients. And it just helps us all kind of get on the same page. What do I want? If this make it super duper simple, before we go jumping into real estate, or before we go jumping into a mutual fund or anything else, What do I want my $1 to do for me? And it'll help us know quite a bit about your risk tolerance, you know, your goals, your dreams, your emotions, and so much else. So we could do that if you want, or, you know, just if not on this episode, take a few moments after this episode and try that out for yourself. Do you want risk with that dollar? Do you want penalties to access it? Do you want it to be protected if you go through a, a, God forbid, a lawsuit? you want to use it as collateral and leverage? Do you want it to be tax free in retirement? Those are important questions to ask. And if you just kind of look at it from a $1 perspective, it, it can be a helpful thought exercise, if nothing else.
0: I love it. So, you know, let me, let me speak to the subset of listeners who are like, Duray, Mark, all oh, this is good and dandy. If I had some money and I would start thinking about ways to invest that money and spend that money. But me personally, I'm in debt through the roof. Yeah. What can I do? How can I start? Or should I focus on paying off my debt first? What is your answer for those people?
1: You know, someone asked me, what was my biggest money mistake? And I guess my biggest money mistake was not realizing two things. One, I am my own life's greatest asset. You, DeRay, and every listener, you are your greatest asset in your portfolio. So if you were in debt up to your eyeballs, the first thing to do is Take your asset seriously. <laughs> and do do what's right by educating and investing in yourself. And if you can do that, maybe that means getting a better income. Maybe that means getting a side income for a while. Maybe that means reading a book or listening to awesome podcasts like Before the Millions. You know, whatever it is, build up your own greatest asset. So that's the internal side of the equation. On the financial planner side of the equation, and you have a ton of debt. One of my biggest mistakes was just thinking that I could follow Dave Ramsey's snowball method and just pay those suckers off, and you know lose all that money to the wind for the rest of my life. So very very quickly, my story includes having $120,000 of student loan debt and no way to pay it off. Well, the best thing we had, and it's better than no plan, was the snowball method, and that was just wiping out those debts, throwing extra payments on the smallest one, and then about halfway through that. I, I started realizing, well, hey, I just threw seventy thousand dollars into the wind that I'll never never see again. Not only will I not see that seventy grand, but I'll never see all that that money might have grown to had I invested it or put it to work elsewhere. You know, so that that's an expensive education.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I I think I went through the exact same thought process a few years ago. I was like, okay, I was at a crossroads. I was like, okay, do I pay off all of my debt now? and have nothing to show for it, but have a a clear conscience, which goes back to our emotional decisions. You know, some of us, I mean, that's what we need going back to paying off your house or going back to buying property free and clear. That's an emotional decision, Mm -hmm. right? So do I do that to suffice? I mean, Emotions in some cases and other cases are going to trump the financial decision that may make more sense just because you're comfortable with that. So I get that. Right. But in my position, I was just like, especially because I'm a numbers person, I was like, do I pay off all this debt and this debt has low interest or do I invest at a higher interest rate? and eventually come back to this debt and maybe even wipe it off in, in one fell swoop. And that's something that some people may be going through today right now. So I love that you're able to touch on that because you're looking at it. Is that how you're looking at it? Basically what, what the interest is on the debt? Is that is that kind of where you're going with this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That and you know, the long-term overall financial picture. So the interest on the debt, and what you can get elsewhere and the arbitrage between them. The way we like to say it is it's all one wallet. You know, I met a guy once who he made, you know, good money, quarter million a year, doctor, and he was very proud of his 8% on his mutual funds. Okay. But he was spending, he he was spending almost a third of his income, almost 80,000 bucks a year on not just the principal, only the interest on all of his debts was 80 grand a year. So, you know, Think about oh that for a minute. So, so it's all one wallet. It's all one wallet. We have we have one rate of return, and you know, more important than just rate of return is the control and the access and the use of the money. So we were putting all that money into a, a debt, and it's not like we could have called up Sally May and said, "Hey, can I have some of that back, please? I just had a flat tire or just had a medical emergency." So I guess one of the things we really have learned lately is how important liquidity is, like having a big bucket of money ready to go for emergencies and also opportunities like real estate purchases. So if all my money is being thrown toward my debts, you know, those are dollars I won't be able to easily access again. So it goes back to what do I want my money to do for me? For Uh, us and for my wife and I, it was having a big bucket of cash that we could then throw at opportunities like starting this business or real estate investing, that sort of thing.
0: I love that so much. And I know that we've kind of, covered this question in detail, but I know that there are probably still some listeners out there that are like, but I still want to know like where to put my money, what to do. And we'll get to that. Before that, let's talk about the concept of banking on yourself. And I think you may have touched on this a little bit already, but I want to kind of kind of open this up really quick. What's what's banking on yourself? How can someone begin to bank on themselves? And then I'll ask you a secondary question and then how do we involve real estate in that? But first, what is banking on yourself?
1: Yeah, well, that it's essentially it's a concept. It's a mindset first and foremost. So, we use a particular mindset and then apply it to certain tools in the financial universe because you know you can't just have a mindset and chop down a tree. You need an ax to get the job done, right? So, the concept of bank on yourself is learning to become your own source of financing. So, what is better than Dave Ramsey's being debt-free? You know What's better than the snowball method? Well, being the banker is better than being debt-free you know, if I could collect interest rather than just not pay any, that's even better than paying everything cash, right? If you think about it for just a minute, and most people, including myself, don't, everything you buy, you finance. Whether you pay interest to a credit card or a car loan, or you pass up interest, you could have earned on the money because you paid cash and didn't keep it invested. You know, if, you, if you've got 10 grand in your savings account, or a hedge fund or 401k or wherever, and you withdraw that money out to go buy a car or whatever, how much interest is now earning on that money? Well, it's not nothing, right? It's gone. That was our problem with paying off our student loans the, the old-fashioned way, as I call it, the snowball method. Every dollar we sent to them was gone forever, and also gone was all the money it could have grown to. So, by banking on ourselves, what we did instead was we what what I affectionately call the snow bank method, all right, so you know plow a bunch of money into your own snow bank right, and then take that money as a loan to yourself and wipe out those pesky student loans or credit cards or you know mortgage even one by one, and all of a sudden you're collecting the interest that you would have otherwise paid to banks, credit cards, finance companies, literally firing your banker. And becoming your own source of financing one debt at a time.
0: This just flips that whole dynamic on its head. And I know a lot of people are probably like jaw dropped, like, why didn't I think of this? Oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I've had a previous guest on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with MC Lobster. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, he. I mean, he talks about some of these concepts, and I, I mean, sometimes it goes over people's heads. But I listen to him; I'm just like, this. This is amazing. People need to get this stuff. This is lovely. I had a previous, another previous guest. Her name is Jenna Lofton. And then going back to, and I don't want to get it go down th- th- this this path, but I mean, I want to. I Man, there's so much to talk about, like the Federal Reserve, the banking system, how yeah. they make money. What I mean, it's just so much. So mm. for this episode, because we're almost at the end, I just want to keep it high level. Now, when you talk about banking on yourself and doing some of the things that that you're able to do once you start banking on yourself, I look at, well, how can I put real estate in the equation? And mm-hmm. some of my, my earlier, early opinions are what I do now, like owner financing, that's being the bank, you know, maybe things like, like lease options, or maybe private lending for fixers and flippers and things like that. That is how you start being the bank and you start collecting interest. But I want to get your point of view. What, what how do you, how can you incorporate real estate and banking on yourself?
1: Well, sure. Yeah. Like I said, it takes a tool. And I think actually it takes a combination of tools. You know, a good golfer has a whole set of clubs, not just one. So if you combine two financial products together, they sometimes don't work, but other times it's like nitro and glycerin. You know, when they're put together, they're stronger than they would be alone. So real estate is strong, but when you tie it with other financial vehicles, it can get even stronger for a number of reasons. You know, what's the downside to real estate, real estate investing? Well, you know, there's problems with tenants not paying rent. There's a lot of costly HOA specials or, you know, the water heater blows or taxes going up. There's no guarantee that the equity will be there. So how can we solve some of the problems with real estate and make it even better? And one of the things of of all financial vehicles I've come across, one of my favorites to use with real estate is a little known variation on dividend paying whole life insurance of all things. So it's where you're using dividend paying whole life, as your big cash reserve, your warehouse of wealth.
0: Mark, we might have to we yeah. may have to put this episode in a vault and charge for this episode
1: because this, <laughs>
0: yeah. this is some good stuff. Like we may not have to we may not be able to release release this for free. But no, go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's all good. But yeah, I think the world needs to at least know that this is an option, you know? But uh, yeah, the, the point is if you put all this cash inside a contract, it's a business contract with a life insurance company. It's life insurance. But it's a business model rather than a Wall Street model. You know, if you put that money into a cash value policy that's designed correctly, it'll grow guaranteed on an annual preset basis. It'll throw dividends on top of that every year the company's profitable. It gives you liquid access to that cash for any reason. You know, there's no government restrictions. There's no, you know, it's not like you have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. It's your money. You get that money out, you can use it for real estate. One of my favorite things to do is to use the cash value in the policy to pay property taxes. To pay HOA specials, to you know, even buy properties as cash buyers, you know, you can do that. I have a number of clients that use their cash value life insurance for bridge loans and get cr- just crazy, just bonkers returns because their policy is is liquid, predictable cash that is available no matter what the banks are doing. And then they just pull that money out in about three to five days, and they've got a you know money ready to go for the cash purchase on that real estate or the bridge loan or owner financing. I mean the, the list goes on and on. So we've even had folks take policy loans against their policy and then let the tenants pay back the loan. Meanwhile the policy keeps growing even on the money you take out. It's wild. You know that's it's like letting your money do two things at once. That is so, yeah, crazy. That's, that's how we paid off our student loans. We were like heck, you know, if we're gonna throw another sixty, seventy grand at our student loan debt, might as well plow that money into a policy first then mm. borrow against it, bank on ourselves, wipe out Sally Mae's stuff, and now we're repaying our policy loan to ourselves and get Oh, the that growth. is beautiful. That is
0: beautiful. Guys, I hope you're listening because this is fascinating stuff. And Mark, seriously, we, we're going to have to probably bring, bring you back on to kind of explain this. Give us like one cherry on top to kind of have the listeners walk away with an action item for this.
1: Sure. I'll say one thing and maybe one resource. You know, if you want to learn more, go to, you know, there's tons of, Good and bad information out there. So, you know, I'll be a shameless plug and say, go check out our podcast, not your average financial podcast. There you go. But if you just wanted to make sure that you're going in the right direction, the best quality standard, the stamp of approval that I've found, because there's a lot of, you know, people out there with, you know, they call it different things and it can mean different things. I've even seen people use like stock market and variable life insurance products, calling it, you know, this product. But if it's, built and designed by a bank on yourself authorized advisor, you know that that advisor is working with the right company and designed it correctly. So you want to look for that quality standard. It's like getting USDA organic on your food. You just kind of know that they've met all the requirements and it's done. It's being built the correct way. That's maybe one resource and then one action item to check out.
0: Is that the actual terminology? Bank on yourself authorized advisor? That's what they're really called?
1: Yeah, literally that's what they're called. I, I Next to my a certified financial planner, professional designation, it's the most intense training I've ever gone through. It took me about three and a half years to get that credential myself. And yeah, they put you through literally thousands of different scenarios. They put you under mentoring and tons of training. So, you know, if you're working with a bank on your self-authorized advisor, you know that they've done enough work to to build the policies correctly for folks.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, Mark, this has been simply spectacular. There's so many more questions that I just have in my head. And I know the listeners want to get to as well. So again, we'll have to bring you back on. But this is the last question in this round that I want to end with. And I got this question from a Tony Robbins book, Money Master the Game. I, I just recently read it. And he asked this question to every single person he interviewed, including Ray Dalio. And the question is this, all you could pass down to your kids was a concept one single concept or strategy to ensure that they will be financially okay, they will be financially wealthy. What would that concept be?
1: Wow. You know, I'd say that's a great question. But what I would say is how many friends could you call on at 3 a.m.? Maybe not friends, but associates, right? People that you could call on at 3 a.m. when you were really truly in need because the person that has a, a number of people that he, could, he or she could call on in need is directly determinant on how successful you'll be in business. So show me a person that has a number of people who are true confidants, true you know, partners, advocates, you know, people promoting you and I'll show you someone who's going to be successful no matter what they put their mind or life to. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks.
0: What is your favorite Before the Millions book?
1: You know, one of my one of my favorites for before the millions is the "Find Your Why" book by Simon Sinek. Great book on getting past the what and getting to the why. So, "Find Your Why" by Simon Sinek.
0: What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool.
1: Yeah, I'll say the app Calm. Uh, great little app free I think for yeah it's been free for years to help you just think clearly and meditate if you need to and little thoughts and quotes to kind of get your heart and mind right
0: love it love it love it what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed
1: recently I took off for a few weeks and came back and the business was more profitable than before I left and that was a really good sign for me yeah I want to see that continue where I'm actually slowing things down when I'm around here
0: beautiful i love that and talk about lifestyle design in general just you know how you interact with your family your kids amount of time and freedom that you have because of what you've created
1: you know yeah i'd say you know if you can find a new way to retire i mean moses never retired so where did that even come from right you know the idea of retirement sounds like i'm being put up on a shelf somewhere and i I really do i think it came from the new deal and i think it came from post-World War II and, and we needed somewhere to, to put all these out of place uh, factory workers. So I think we're living in an age where we can start rethinking what life looks like after the daily grind and that might come as early as your early 30s. and Maybe that's at 55 years old or maybe that's at still at 65 or 70 if you need to. But I think the mindset of retirement is, is taking many retirements, M-I-N-I, lots of little one month here, one month there and trying it out. I have so many people who say, well, I'm going to move to Florida when I retire. Well, have you ever been to Florida? No, not really. So, you know, maybe try it out for a few months, go live in Bolivia. If you want to live there in retirement, see how it feels and have those, you know, why wait until this magical day? If you can retire now, why not take that advantage? That's what I love about financial independence and getting out of the rat race and using real estate to help with that. So
0: i love that i love that and it's crazy because i mean you think about the fact that the, even the concept of retirement is a brand new concept like that yeah. that just blows me i'm just like man like yeah. that's like you and, and then you think about the fact that the average person that goes into retirement or retires like they're they're and i hate to you know their passing is not not too long after they retire but you see these people that work through their you know senior years and they are lively they are healthy and yeah. they are they, I mean they, they you know you you can't even tell like they're, there's you know they're, they're old but it's based on this concept and I, I used to tell people I stopped doing it but I used to tell people like oh like I'm retired you know and it always put a bad taste in people's mouth like how are you retired like you shouldn't be retired and it doesn't make any sense I'm like well I mean I work I work a lot but I don't consider what I do work you know I'm right. I'm talking to people, I'm encouraging people, I'm helping people, I'm getting, you know, sellers out of bad situations, I'm helping tenants find homes, like I'm, I'm having fun. I retired as soon as I left corporate America, but I still work. So I think about the fact that retirement and not doing anything, you will slowly, you will wither away as fast as possible, not even slowly, you will wither away as fast as possible the minute you retire. So when my, my version of retirement is doing what you love for the rest of your life. You know, not 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 working, but doing what you love. So I love that. Okay, sign me so. up, man. That's great. <laughs> what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today?
1: To be honest, I had to sacrifice my own ego. That this business had to rely on me. As long as the ego is the driving force of your business or your your financial plan. If it's all about you, it'll never be much. Uh, Is the hard truth I had to learn for myself, and that's probably something I'll keep learning. You know, the best lessons you have to keep learning over and over and over again. But I'd say, you know, if 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 I got to financial independence, but my you know wife and daughter didn't want to hang around me, that's not truly free. You know, I want to be the kind of person that not only are we out of the rat race, but we actually enjoy being around each other at the same time. So it's not just about the number in your bank account. It's about the kind of person you're becoming all along the way. And I guess that's the, the biggest realization and the biggest, I guess, the hurdle that we had, I had to jump over was that, yeah, if I make my business all about me and dependent on me, it's, it's about my ego. It's not about, you know, becoming financially free.
0: I love that. And even just, you know, thinking about that statement, in certain scenarios, and again, this is just me, I would make the, so whenever there's something wrong in my business, I put 100% onus on me, 100%. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what it is, right. it doesn't matter yeah. if had nothing to do with the situation, yeah. and that's and We're not going to go into it now, but that's just primarily because you can do something about it if you're the one to blame. You can immediately take action if so. If you blame, if you put the blame on somebody else, there's there's nothing you can do because I mean you're not in control. And I love that. Now yeah. when it comes to good things that happen, when my team does good stuff, they get all the praise. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the that, that's the entrepreneurial journey. You're you're going to yeah. have to take all the bad, but the good, you give it away as soon as possible.
1: Right? Stuff rolls uphill. That's the uh, that's the truth. <laughs> I'll just call it stuff, right? Okay.
0: <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Last. Oh, this is not the last one, but second to last. Who was essential to your growth before the millions, and why?
1: Oh, my wife. I mean, I hate to be cliche there, but you know, she got me out of my employee mindset. And even helped me out of the small business owner mindset. She's constantly, you know, helping me think different about life, money, what we want to do, our future. So, you know, she she brought the courage. She brought the the sea legs to walk out of you know corporate America and out of you know your typical nine to fiver, and into something much better. So, gotta give props it. to her. You know,
0: I love it. I love it. Go, wife. She sounds amazing. yeah. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions?
1: Well, yeah the the fish is the last to notice the water. Mm. You know, the fish is the last to notice the water. Meaning, everyone else can see that that fish is wet, but the fish itself, we, we grow up in it, we think about it. You know, we we just oh, it's got to always be this way. You know, we we've, we've been talking about how retirement's a new idea, the four hundred and one k hasn't even got its you know its golden watch retirement yet so you know where do we get the idea that it's always been this way well it's because the fish is the last to notice the water so Mm. if if you can if you can raise your level you know there's a there's an old story where uh, actually it's it's a video on youtube check this out it's called escaping the lid i think it's on youtube and if if you watch it it's like a you know minute long video of of a experiment where this the scientist throws a bunch of fleas in a jar, and then puts a lid on the jar. And I heard about three, this. <laughs> three days later, they take away the jar and the fleas are still jumping in that jar shape. Even though there's no jar there anymore, the fleas are still there. And when the fleas reproduce, even their offspring will never jump beyond the confines of the lid and the jar. That's what gets me. I mean, I'm like, wow, get get me free, you know, break me out of that jar. And uh, so I guess that's what keeps us from breaking through before the millions.
0: I love that. I love that. And that's that's uh, I mean, I heard that story before. And that that's that's the perfect parallel to just kind of show what we're in. I mean, again, reiterating what you said, because I don't know if a lot of everybody was able to catch that. But you have a jar that has a lid and the fleas are in that jar. And they're fighting to get out of that jar. They're hitting the top of that lid constantly. And eventually they just give up. So think about your life. Think about what you're doing. Eventually they're just like, this is not working. I can't get out. I can't break free. So when you remove that lid, because they're used to this lifestyle, and this is really good, because they're used to those confinements, Preach they are it. never yeah. going to try to break out of that lid again. It's yeah. just, and then their children who have never had that experience see what mom and dad does and they're not even gonna attempt to go that high right yeah (sighs) okay so listen this has been amazing mark and i've had a whole lot of fun on this episode if the listeners want to get a hold of you learn a little bit more about you plug in for some of your information where can we find you
1: Well, I'll give a resource. Again, it's Not Your Average Financial Podcast. If anybody wants to learn more about the work we do, check a couple of those episodes out. If you want to chat with me, I'd be very honored and happy to chat with anyone from your audience. And if you click request a meeting and just make a mention in your appointment there, I'll I'll do a 15-minute phone consultation with you. And if you'd like to, I'd be happy to chat with anyone here. And those that do, if you make sure to write before the millions or write DeRay's name in the notes of the appointment, then I'll be sure to send a free copy of my most recent book that we just published over the summer, which is about how to fire your banker. So happy to send that compliments of DeRay.
0: Nice, nice. I love it. And thank you so much for that for my audience. So we appreciate that. And that will be in the show notes as well, guys. So definitely take advantage of that. Well, Mark, like I said, this has been phenomenal. It was so great to have you on the show. And we will talk to you very, very soon.
1: My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on.